What do you mean I'm not real? Of course I'm real. I, 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 I am the president of the United States. All right, people, it's time for another Friday Roundtable Extravaganza. And joining me today is PragerU personality and host of The Wrap-Up, C.J. Pearson. And also joining me is columnist of Off Limits, Ian Howarth. C.J. and Ian, welcome to The Rubin Report. Thanks for having us. Uh, Ian, I feel I should start with you because you've been on once before, and I butchered your name so horribly. I think That's I called you name. Ethan Hawthorne. I don't know if I had a stroke on camera or what exactly happened there, but how'd I do this time? I think I cleaned it up properly. Yeah, you nailed it. That was awesome. <laughs> All right, very good. And CJ, we we go way back at this point. You're you're with PragerU, and obviously I love Dennis and the team over there. But why don't you maybe just take 20, 30 seconds real quick, just introduce everybody uh, to yourself, and then we'll dive into all the topics. Yeah, well, Dave, thank you so much for having me. It was uh, good to be in, in, in your city uh, a few days ago for the for uh, the presidential debate in Miami. And yeah, so I'm here at PragerU. I'm one of our Gen Z personalities where we work every single day to change the hearts and minds of America's young people and fight back against a lot of this misinformation uh, that you've been tackling, uh, you know, increasingly, you know, in, in recent weeks, we've just seen just an avalanche of it. And so uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, my pleasure, and I'm glad we finally made it happen. And speaking of misinformation, you've given me a very easy segue to talk about the televised mental institution known as MSNBC, and their lead Muppet, Chris Hayes, had Hamas leader Rashida Tlaib on the show. Uh, this is a day or two, and, uh, well, take a look for yourself. Resolution also objects to a passage in a video she released earlier this month that calls on President Joe Biden to support a ceasefire in Gaza. Specifically, a segment of that video that depicted protesters in Tlaib's home state of Michigan chanting the phrase you see there, from the river to the sea. Now, the resolution called that chant, which is commonly used by some pro-Palestinian activists, quote, a genocidal call to violence to destroy the state of Israel and its people and to replace it with a Palestinian state extending from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. In a statement, Congresswoman Tlaib rejected that characterization, instead calling it, quote, an aspirational call for freedom, human rights, and peaceful coexistence, not death, destruction, or hate. But I do want to talk about this phrase, because obviously this was a phrase that I think really um, caught some folks, I think Jewish Americans, supporters of Israel, different folks, and, and it reads differently to different people, from the river to the sea. Um, the contention is that this, this is a call for a kind of anti-colonial expulsion, right? Similar to, like, Algeria kicking out the French, right? Like, get out of here, go back to wherever you came from. This is the, how it's heard, I think, to a lot of Jewish ears. And so I want you to explain, like, what you mean by it and why you used it or why you included it in the video. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm asking my colleagues, don't distort the words of my residents. Many people in this movement for human rights for Palestinians have always centered around coexistence. Uh, you hear them calling for that uh, and saying that, you know, no matter your faith, your ethnicity, your background, you should be able to live uh, without fear, without discrimination, without this kind of inequality that, you know, Netanyahu's extremist party and his leadership has been pushing. And so for many of my colleagues, they know uh, and deep in their hearts where my heart is and many of the folks, including the American Jewish community that's out there, demanding again the, the call again uh, against this, this notion that we can't all live together. 
Okay, let, let me just clean up a couple things before I have you guys jump in. First off, 100%, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, that's where Israel exists. When they talk about it being free, they are talking about getting rid of the roughly 8 million Jews, and you'd probably have to get rid of about 2 million Muslim Arabs who live there, and the Christians, and the Baha'i, and everybody else. So she's just lying, number one. Uh, Hayes, by comparing this to Algeria and the French, is intentionally doing something deeply dishonest, which is that the French are not indigenous to Algeria. The Jews are indigenous to Israel. That's number two. Uh, and finally, when she says that many Palestinians have called for coexistence, please show me any Palestinian anywhere, any march anywhere. Show me the names of Palestinian peace movements. Uh, show me the, the deals that Palis the Palestinians have put on the table that have been for two states or any of those things. They've repeatedly rejected them, et cetera, et cetera. Now that I'm out of breath, Ian, take it away. Unbelievable. I mean, she's just lying. It, it's the honestly the most shameless lie I've ever seen on television. And that's saying something given the state of our political system right now. Huh. From the river to the sea means the mass expulsion or mass murder of every <clears throat> Jew and Christian, by the way, uh, in what they want to call Palestine. It's what it's always meant when they've said uh, it's going to be an Arab state from the water to the water prior to the existence of the modern state of Israel. And she talks about peace and coexistence and love. How much peace and coexistence is love is in Gaza or the West Bank or Syria or Lebanon? Why are there no Jews in really any Muslim state across the world? It's because they get persecuted, they get pushed out, and they get murdered. And that's exactly what she's calling for. It's what people she's defending are openly calling for. You can't say they want coexistence when they're chanting things like F the Jews, gas the Jews, kill the Jews, calling for violence, not just subtly, overtly calling for violence. It's a shameless lie. I think it says everything we need to know about MSNBC, that they're really providing cover for her. Yeah, and by the way, to reiterate, I have no problem calling her a Hamas supporter. That is my right as a free American as long as I have it. And since she refuses, she's been uh, questioned in the halls of Congress repeatedly to condemn Hamas, and that's it. Why? She's an American congresswoman. Why hasn't she demanded the release of the 12 American hostages unconditionally? Uh, CJ, as a, as a Gen Zer, uh, unfortunately, what we're seeing is a generation, at least a generation, that has been just completely brainwashed on this stuff and everything else. What do we do about that? You know, it's been shameful to see what we've been, you know, looking at on our college campuses recently, but I can't say that I'm surprised. You know, we've seen for many, many years so many folks in academia grooming America's young people to hate America. So why wouldn't they hate Israel, too? Why wouldn't they hate the mm -hmm. only democracy in the Middle East that is tolerant, um, that shares our ideals, shares our values, shares our appreciation for freedom? It, there's a reason they're our strongest ally there, and it, and it is for good reason. And so I think that at the end of the day, we have to reach young people where they are with truth and with facts. And I know that you guys were you know, talking about, you know, Rashida Tlaib's blatant lies, but I think it's a little bit more offensive because she's gaslighting people with mm -hmm. a straight face. And I find that particularly offensive to sit there and try to redefine what from the river to the sea means as if we don't and have never seen a map is just blatantly offensive and it's wrong. And I think, you know, a lot of people celebrated her being, you know, censured, you know, by the house recently. I don't think that goes far enough. In that interview, you know, one thing that hasn't been talked about is that she said uh, something about her residence and she was talking about Palestine. Last time I checked, members of Congress should be supporting the American people, the American interests. And that includes maybe, and that's an answer to your question about why she hasn't called for the release of these hostages, because she's more concerned about representing Palestinians and not the American people or even the people in her district, which isn't in the most tip top shape either. Yeah, by the way, that's a really great point. You know, earlier in the week during that censor, uh, 
thing at Congress, we we played the clips of her and Ilhan Omar and Cori Bush and some of the others, and you've never, ever seen any of them nearly as passionate about what's going on in their own districts. You think Dearborn, Michigan might have some problems right now? Do you, do you think? Maybe she should be focusing on that, but of course not. But I, I want to shift to something else because it's very easy for us, obviously, to make fun of MSNBC and to make fun of the Hamas caucus and everything else. But I'm also noticing another problem in the, in the online pundit class uh, of a series of people who seemingly talk as if they know everything but really don't know anything related to the history. So I wanna show you a clip from Candace Owens' podcast. I personally, look, I do not wanna make this about Candace specifically, but Ian, you, you clipped this and it went viral and I think people were sort of catching on to something that is a, a wider problem. So personally, I'm not making this about Candace, uh, but, but take a look at the, at the confusion here. When people call it you know, this bastion of freedom or it's just like America, I, it's not the sense that I had when I was there. And again, we had talked earlier on about how our own experiences obviously color our opinions. And I grew up yeah. you know, at my grandparents' house. My grandfather grew up in a segregated South. And so when I'm walking mm -hmm. through Jerusalem and you see, and they say, these are the Muslim quarters. This is where the Muslims are right. allowed to live. That doesn't mm -hmm. feel like a bastion of freedom to me. Um, so I, I guess. Oh, I, I don't think it's where they're allowed to live in Jerusalem. I think it's that there are, there's an Armenian quarter. It's not saying the Armenians can only live here. It's that there are communities, just like there's a, a Jewish community in, in Jersey here and there's a Muslim community in here. I don't think, you know, to my understanding, it's not restrictions within Israel proper of where Israeli is. I think it is where they have, I mean, at least that's what the rabbi who was taking me around, he said, these are the Muslim quarters. So this is where the Muslims. There live, but I, he didn't say anything about legally saying they cannot live in other places within Israel proper. I mean, there's Israeli Arab citizens that have full rights. Israeli Arabs I'm only on the talking Supreme about Jerusalem, so I haven't been, I haven't been to Tel Aviv or anything like that. I'm, I'm just talking about particularly... There, well, and, Jerusalem and itself then, as a city is, has, has a division in it where the Green Line divides, and there's East Jerusalem, that's maybe what he was talking about, not the Muslim quarter, but East Jerusalem, um, there's disputed territory within the West Bank and East Jerusalem that divides, and therefore they're under Palestinian authority or even other jurisdiction, but um, you know that's 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 a different conversation as far as what those are. But Arabs within Israel, if you go to Israel, people would be surprised to see on every street sign Hebrew, English, and Arabic. You see mm -hmm. a multicultural city. So I'm you know, keep going a little bit because I'm curious in your experience in Jerusalem. Yeah, no, it may, and maybe I'm misunderstanding it, but I think it's worth talking mm -hmm. because I, I, I my understanding from the rabbi was that this is where the Muslims have to live in Jerusalem, and it mm -hmm. looked very different from where you know the Jewish people were living, and that again that could not be any fault of any person other than this is how they take care of their stuff and this is the way that we take mm -hmm. care of their stuff. But, you know, it was noticeably a lot dirtier. It was noticeably a lot darker. Um, and it just made me feel as a black American and knowing my own history that this is not, mm -hmm. this isn't freedom to me. Like if you can't just decide like I want to, but I want to live on that street or I want to live on this but, street, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm it, wrong and it wasn't, right. they were just all that choosing to live there. It might have been a misunderstanding. Imagine if you went into an inner city in the United States and somebody told you this is a predominantly black neighborhood and you said it looked more run down. Would you say that America is systemically racist because of If I was of these giving cities? a tour of it, I wouldn't say this is the black quarters, probably. Uh -huh. Or this is a black neighborhood. But maybe somebody in the group might misunderstand that. Yeah, you know, and maybe think, I did. You know, yeah, I you know. just wanted but to also, ask you about that. Okay, so again, I don't want to make this specifically about her, but it should be noted that when they talk about Jerusalem, and we were just there six months ago, and I, I actually, I said to my guys right before we started, we, sh we took a lot of video there, and we'll show something on Monday that explains how these quarters work. Israel didn't create the Muslim quarter and the Jewish quarter and the Armenian quarter and everything else. First off, they largely live in peace. You can actually, Jews generally don't walk through the Muslim quarter because you might get killed, but anyone can walk through the entrance in, in West Jerusalem. 
But the point is, these, these quarters have existed for thousands of years. It's Israel that has opened up Jerusalem to be an international city that everyone can come to. When Jordan controlled Jerusalem before 1967, Jews couldn't pray at the Western Wall. So again, I don't want to make this about her, but this general sort of let's just say anything and apply all of our Western belief or American beliefs or something to everything else, Ugh, I don't like it, CJ. Yeah, you know, I, I went to Israel over the summer, spent 10 days there, and I've got to say that it was one of the most eye-opening experiences of my life. You know, for a long time, I've heard every lie uh, that you can imagine about Israel, how it's an apartheid state, how it's, you know, forced segregation, all of those things. And when I saw what I experienced, you know, going through Tel Aviv, going through Yaffa, going through Jerusalem, all of these places is that you saw many people of many different faith backgrounds, many different nationalities, ethnicities, coexisting and living amongst one another. You don't see the same in Gaza. You don't don't see the same, uh, you, you know, in, in, in those other areas and those Muslim controlled areas, you know, to your point. And so I think that that's the thing here about this entire conflict. There are many people speaking about this issue who, number one, haven't even gone to Israel. So they're believing every single thing that they see on Instagram or Twitter about this, or even worse, maybe TikTok at times. And I think that it would they would be greatly uh, helped by just actually going and seeing this for themselves and realizing that Israel is truly the most tolerant place in the Middle East, it, just bar none. Uh, and if you really do care about tolerance, if you care about progressivism and all of these things, then you should side with them and probably not the people that throw gay people off the top of buildings. That, just a little bit of, of advice there. Ian, since you were the one that made this clip go viral, what do you think about sort of the general concept of, you know, we've watched the mainstream media, the corporate press has absolutely collapsed. I think most people believe that and, and don't trust them anymore. Obviously, there's a certain set that do. But what do we do about this other piece where now everyone's going to all of these other shows, and I would include myself in that, to find out something that's true. And often it is, uh, these are ideas that are promulgated by people that simply just don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, I think that's a, a problem with the general commentary class on both sides is that we have a, a, a really a business system in which you just are paid to say things, you're paid to have thoughts. Um, but it gets a little sticky when we're talking about things with very deep consequences, like the deep levels of anti-Semitism we're seeing exploding all over the world based on really a conspiracy theory of anti-Semitism and a conspiracy theory about Israel. And so, for example, comparing um, Jerusalem to the segregation of Jim Crow era is it, simply not true. Uh, I'm not going to talk about you know the motivations behind that because you can't look inside someone's heart. But the fact is that it's not true, but it has very deep and dangerous consequences because then people will continue to compare uh, modern day Israel to Jim Crow South, to Nazi Germany. And that is the exact propaganda that places like uh, organizations like Hamas and uh, Students for Justice in Palestine and all of these other groups are pushing. They're comparing Israel to racist, fascist, apartheid regimes because that is their entire excuse for all of the violence that they then commit against Jews. And so I think whenever you're talking about any issue, um, especially if you're claiming authority, uh, this is something I try and do all the time. It's very tempting just to, to talk about things, to pontificate, um, but you've always got to be checking yourself and making sure, do I actually know this? And I think it's fine to ask questions, uh, but there's so many resources out there, so many people you can engage with prior to speaking publicly. And I think it's uh, really everyone's duty to do so, especially when we're talking about something that has deadly consequences, because we are seeing deadly consequences. We're seeing Jews being attacked on American streets. We're seeing um, Israeli restaurants, Jewish restaurants being attacked simply for having a, um, a Star of David on the sign or an Israel flag outside. Uh, these are very serious outcomes, and we need to be taking it seriously as a result. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, you know, and, Ian, it's kind of like ahead, how. 
Yeah, Ian, it's kind of how like after you know the Ukraine war, everyone was all of a sudden the Soviet uh, military historian. Yep. And and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know every single cultural implication about what's going on in the region. But what I do know is that I am America first. And I know that we have you know tens of thousands of homeless veterans on our streets in America. I know that in many inner cities across the country, you have kids who aren't proficient in either reading or math in several several schools. And I think that we have a lot of problems here at home. And that is what kind of guides my stance um, on Ukraine. But I think there are so many people who just reflexively just feel the need to weigh in on every single issue without actually taking the time to really bolster up their knowledge um, surrounding it. You know, but to your point that you made, I think it was it was incredible. Um, you know, Pal you know, the Palestinians and you know the Hamas have been very, very intentional about trying to tie what they're doing to the experiences of black Americans. And I'm mm -hmm, working on an op-ed mm -hmm. about this right now. Black lives matter, black lives do not matter to Hamas, not in any way whatsoever. When these people chant death to America, I hope the black people who are saying, oh, I'm pro-Palestine realize that we are also Americans. Like they wanna come for us too. And so at the end of the day, it's just so nonsensical because to your point, yes, there are Muslim quarters, there are Arab quarters in Jerusalem, but there are black neighborhoods. There are white neighborhoods. There are Hispanic neighborhoods. Is anyone going to argue that Little Havana in Miami is a Cuban quarter? No. People self-segregate. People live around. Um, you know, people. That You're not going to believe what's going on in Chinatown in New York City. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. All right. Let's. I think we. I think we made the point. Uh, let's move on because I wanted to hit something that that's a little bit different uh, in terms of just sort of the chaos of the last month but I thought also in, it sort of opens the door to a lot of the internet craziness we're dealing with and how when even good people try to do good things, there is always a price to pay. So this guy, Mr. Beast, uh, who is huge, he might be, the, is he the number one YouTuber at this point? He is the number one YouTuber. The guy's worth a gajillion dollars and he takes his gajillion dollars and he sees, he tries to do a lot of good things with his money. So one thing that he was trying to do, uh, or that he not only, not was just trying to do, that he actually did, was build a hundred wells in Africa so that African children could get fresh water. You might think that this is pretty good. Uh, here's a, a little bit of the video uh, when, he, uh, when he did this and then put it up this is about a week ago. A hundred wells we're gonna build in this video. You just witnessed a small village in Kenya get access to unlimited clean drinking water in less than a second. One down, 99 more wells in Africa to go. You're gonna love this video. Combined, these 100 wells are gonna give around half a million people fresh water to drink. And after building some more wells on this side of Kenya, we flew south to the school system of Nairiri. And let's just say, they were really happy to see us. How's it going? One of the teachers showed me where the students currently get their water, which is from this river. That's extremely unsafe to drink. This is where your students used to get water from? Yes. This is crazy. At least for this village, we're gonna put an end to it right now. I don't think this John's gonna fit. <laughs> I'm a big guy. Let's see if we can find some water. It's raining! It's beautiful! 
Okay, so obviously it goes on. I'm being told this guy has 209 million subscribers. I have never felt so irrelevant in my life. But he's doing good work. He obviously has earned them and earned all the accolades and, and the financial success and everything else. But anyway, so he does this thing. And, uh, and of course, there was gonna be fallout. So first, uh, let's look at his original tweet on this thing. He said, we built 100 wells in Africa, go watch. And then Ashley St. Clair, who I've had on the show, uh, Ashley said, waiting for someone to call this racist, and then on cue, here's Yahoo News. While American YouTuber Mr. Beast's goal was to provide clean drinking water for 500,000 people, activists say his actions shamed the Kenyan government and helped perpetuate the stereotype that Africa is dependent on handouts. Uh, this eventually got hit with a community note because this is now the fact-checking apparatus that, uh, you uh, that Twitter has uh, brought in since Elon took over. Readers added context they thought might, you might want to know. This is relative to the headline I just read. The two people deriding Mr. Beast are one, a Kenyan politician, and two, a woman who founded a 501c3 based in Cambridge, Massachusetts that raised 131,000 in 2020 and spent 83,000 on themselves. So. All right, this happens with everything. Good people try to do good things. Obviously the Kenyan government is not doing everything they can to get their own people clean water. He comes in and does it. A Kenyan government official's pissed because it exposes him for being a fraud. And these nonprofit people that basically do nothing also are not happy because it shows that they don't do much of anything. Ian, this is just internet 101, right? Yeah, everything is racist, especially good things. I mean, I cannot believe we can watch people who don't have access to clean water getting clean water, <laughs> presumably for free. You know, they're not paying for this. And people right. are upset about that. I can't believe we're talking about this right now. Of all the horrendous things that happen in the world, people are angry because a guy decided to go to Africa and get water for people. It's unbelievable. Uh, I do think it's funny when politicians and um, people in American nonprofits get very upset when someone just completely supersedes them and actually goes and does the thing they've been promising to do. Uh, politicians are notoriously inept, and the same is true for a lot of nonprofits out there. Quite often, it's just a way to get tax-free money. If you look at the salaries they pay themselves, you look at where the money goes. So many charities have these kind of problems. And so it's obviously humiliating when someone who has a YouTube show, and uh, YouTube is still looked down upon by many people who are still in the mainstream, even though it's where most people go to get content nowadays, when he can just go to Africa and do it. It, it shames them. They should be embarrassed. Uh, but the fact that this is viewed as racist, like, it's racist if you don't provide people with water. <laughs> We're seeing that in Gaza right now. It's racist right. if people don't have water. But it's racist if you give them water. I'm starting to think that everything is racist, Dave. I don't know if I'm wrong. CJ, um, according to my paperwork here, you are black. I, I think so. I, well, according to Joe Biden, no. But that's neither here nor there. I think what's crazy well, we're about to... this entire story here is that the people that are complaining, you have the Kenyan politician who obviously is just embarrassed, and you have a woman who lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts, who, for the record, anyone who's been there, that's the home of Harvard <laughs> University, not necessarily a blue-collar neighborhood there, but you know who <laughs> right, isn't right. complaining? The Kenyan children who now have access to fresh water. Like, this is actually the, the most insane story. Again, like, I, I, I agree. I can't believe that we are even talking about this or have to talk about this, but this always happens. He goes out, he does good, and then people accuse him of being of 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 over like abusing his privilege so helping people in need is abusing isn't that what they want isn't this like some form of reparation I, like it's insanity and uh, as you said though like no good deed goes unpunished these days 
Yeah, yeah and just to reiterate, the only reason I'm covering it is because I want to expose that sort of nonsense so less people fall for it next time. The next time they exactly. read that Mr. Beast is a racist or yeah. CJ's a white supremacist or something like that. Ian, I'll give you the last word on this one and then we'll move on. But also, what would happen if someone like Joe Biden announced a scheme or Kamala Harris was going to be the water czar, she was going to be sent down to Kenya? People would be celebrating her as a hero. doesn't matter if they deliver or not. Someone actually delivers, they're the villain. The world is upside down. Speaking of if upside Kamala down. Harris became the water czar, you, you get ready to go thirsty. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we, America, yeah we'd be dehydrated overnight. Uh, all right, let's move on, though, because uh, speaking of upside down, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who once, I think, was like a fairly decent science communicator before wokeness just took over everything. Uh, he was sort of the heir apparent to Carl Sagan, who's one of my heroes, uh, like who was just such a, had such an incredible ability to explain complex things about the cosmos to the masses. He would go on Johnny Carson Tonight Show all the time and explain like unbelievable astrophysics to people in a very decent way that they could deal with while they were going to sleep at 11.30 p.m. Anyway, Neil deGrasse Tyson was supposed to be him, number two, and he's devolved into some sort of like half-woke, very confused person. Uh, here he is on the Wild Ride podcast explaining a bit more. We played one clip earlier in the week when he was on with Bill Maher, but he's very confused about all this gender stuff and, well, look at how he's now dealing with his shows. <laughs> if it's wrong to say ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I don't say that anymore, for example, in my public talks. Wow. But when they introduce me, I say, just say... Humanoids. Yeah, <laughs> because why specify gender at all? You just, all humans who are out there. So say, uh, Ooh, yeah, so okay. when I'm introduced, they have explicit instructions to say, instead of ladies and gentlemen, which has a ring to it, right? Yeah. A historical mm -hmm. sort of legacy feel to it. It's just, please welcome to the stage, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And anyone who hears that is going to be human and react. And so why specify? I like that, man. I think that I'm done saying ladies and gentlemen. You want to give this one another shot? No, I think that was fantastic. <laughs> you just retired, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Ladies and gentlemen, that, that is a load of bunk. Uh, let's be clear, nobody's offended by ladies and gentlemen. Even if they were, it's completely ridiculous and we don't always have to go to the lowest common denominator. Again, this is sort of like the previous clip. It's not that it's the biggest thing in the world, but I think that these are like these little markers in society where we just keep catering to the crazy class, whether it's the media class who lies about people doing good things like Mr. Beast, or the people that are supposed to be our intellects, who uh, our intellectuals who are just constantly degrading everything. Uh, Ian, ladies and gentlemen, offensive, not offensive? Can I you tell me as a woman? Offensive, so I guess so. But I think what's, what's scariest for me is the people of science are the ones diving headfirst into this. Yeah. It's one thing to have you know weirdo academics on college campuses screaming various things about gender. But when supposed authorities on science and biology is part of science, you know the idea that there is sex and that it is different is part of science. <laughs> when these people are diving headfirst, that's really scary. It's like mathematicians out there. It's like Stephen Hawking announcing that two plus two is five. Like that's the same kind of level of what we're talking here. It shows how really insidious gender theory has become. And you've got so many people like Neil deGrasse Tyson who are really care more about their popularity and more their attention than basic truth. And so they'll quite happily throw science, their supposed love into the shredder just to protect their own skin. I think that's really showing how powerful gender theory has become. CJ, I have a theory that young people actually want older people to tell them the truth. They actually don't want this pandering nonsense anymore. I think it explains a lot of Jordan Peterson's success and many other people, that they can't make sense of the world because the people before them that are supposed to hand them something have decided to shred it up. Does, does that resonate with you? 
Yeah, I think it's definitely true. And once people realize that they've been lied to for a long time, that turns into anger because who wants to be lied to? And I mm -hmm. think what's really interesting to see here, which is why I talk to, you know, oftentimes I get conservative parents who will reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter and they say, you know, how can I prepare my kid to go to college? I'm like, well, it's biblical, right? You got to train up your child in the way in which they should go. So they're old, they won't depart from it. The problem that we have sometimes as conservatives is that we're so worried about liberal indoctrination that we kind of are like, oh, let's not indoctrinate our kids ourselves before they go to college. And it's like, okay, you don't have to indoctrinate them, but give them a foundation. So when they go to their college campus and they listen to their leftist professor trying to cancel ladies and gentlemen and say that there are a hundred genders or that gender is a social construct, they can rely back on those teachings that you gave them as a child and say, this isn't correct. This isn't truthful. Mm -hmm. This is wrong. And that they will have the courage and conviction to sit there and raise their hand and say, I disagree because courage is contagious. You know, there are often times when I was at, you know, in school and I went to the university of Alabama, which isn't definitely not as progressive as, you know, a UC Berkeley, but sometimes I would be the only person in the class who would raise my hand and say, that's just not correct. That's your emotion. You're trying to pass it off as truth. Let's leave this alone. Um, but, you know, particularly in this clip, I think Ian hit it on the head. It's, it's particularly troubling when you have people of science, you know, pushing these farce of an idea, but also too, remember when a PhD like used to be a flex, like you would respect people who had them because they were like <laughs> right. intellectual people. Now it's like the last people that I ever want to speak to. It's like these people are so just drunk off of their own so-called intellect and, and, and just just cosmopolitan, you know, ambition to just cater to every single crazy phenomenon these days that they've lost their intellectual integrity. And it's, uh, it's sad because as you said, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I assume pretty smart guy. Um, you watch that clip and you have doubts about that though. And it's not just the intellectuals who've, who've lost their cred, which obviously is true. I would say anyone who's gone to college at this point, we just hired a new editor this week and I was thrilled when I found out he was a college dropout. I was like, <laughs> bonus, man, Joey, welcome aboard. Uh, CJ, I just wanna ask you one other thing because you mentioned when you were in college and speaking up against the progressive group think because you happen to be black. I'm guessing they didn't treat you that well. They kind of took that card away if you spoke up against, uh, it kind of doubles down on the hate against you, right? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Thankfully, I had, you know, a really supportive, you know, campus community. And, and I think it was really proof of what you just said. Young people are tired of being lied to by the progressives, uh, you know, by these people who are so hell bent on being woke that they are willing to eliminate women out of our society. That they're willing to criminalize being white in America. There are lots of students at the University of Alabama who were standing up against that. My professors, however, sometimes weren't the biggest fan um, of me. There were people who, you know, condemned me for, you know, being pro-Trump and, you know, during the election and all of these things. But at the end of the day, I think that if you're not getting pushback, that you're not pushing hard enough. And I think that America's young people should know there are far more people that agree with us than don't. We just got to be vocal. And we've got to we've got to get over this silent majority nonsense. Being silent is permissive. And if mm -hmm. we allow these people to continue to wage a war on every single value that we have as a country, they will win. And so to your point, that's why we should talk about things like this, these stories, because it's kind of a little bit of a dry run. They test these crazy theories, these crazy ideas to see, oh, will anyone push back? Will anyone, is this too far? And, uh, and it makes me, rem reminds me of uh, Jazz Jennings, her TLC show. No one was talking about it at that point when, you know, she was a kid undergoing gender transition. People mm -hmm. kind of looked at it as like a human interest story. Like people weren't really vocal about how bad it was. I think it was around like 2010, I was a little kid. Um, but now we're seeing it go mainstream. People are like, oh my God, this is so bad. 
well, maybe if we had condemned it back then, we wouldn't be where we are now. So I think it's really important to nip these things in the bud before they grow into even a bigger phenomenon than they already are. Yeah, well said, and you gave me a great segue because speaking of nipping things in the bud, you know, for years a whole bunch of us were saying that they're calling all of the wrong people Nazis, and uh, the people that are doing it tend to have some Nazi tendencies, and we're certainly seeing that on the streets of all of many of our cities, unfortunately, and all over Europe and everywhere else. Uh, but Hillary Clinton, and you'll see my connection here, Hillary Clinton went on The View this week, and you're not going to believe who she compared Donald Trump to. People would get legitimately elected, mm -hmm. and then they would try to do away with elections and do away with opposition and do away with a free press. And you could see it in countries where, well, Hitler was duly elected, That's right? right? Yeah. And so all of a sudden, somebody with those tendencies, those dictatorial, authoritarian tendencies would be like, oh, okay, we're going to shut this down. We're going to throw these people in jail. And, and they didn't usually telegraph that. Trump is telling us yeah. what he intends to right. do. How about what Trump did? Uh, because he did not do away with the free press. He fought a free press all the time. Uh, he did not do away with elections. He's not the president as far as I know. Ian, this, this insanity, this it's so damn unfortunate because now when we have people behaving like the Nazis, going after Jewish shops, as you mentioned, and all of the other stuff, uh, the, the words don't even have any meaning anymore. Yeah, I mean, like two things. One, Zelensky is actually doing all of these things and she's presumably still a massive fan of Ukraine. So I'm not uh, too sure she actually cares about fascism or any of these things. But also, if you just look at the Nazi analogy, as we've talked about you know, during this show, there are actual Nazis on the streets right now screaming for the same thing that Nazis wanted. Mm -hmm. Outside the Sydney Opera House, for example, people are literally screaming, gas the Jews. You see pro-Palestinian people holding up swastikas, um, painting swastikas on Jewish students' doors. Like Nazis are here. They just don't happen to be uh, white in this case, and they don't happen to be um, part of the political narrative that people like Hillary Clinton want to push. And so it doesn't count. Uh, and also, if you look at really the safety of Jews, if that's going to be the metric we use to measure the level of Nazism in the world, then uh, the world was a much safer Jew, uh, place for Jews under Donald Trump than it was under Barack Obama and certainly under Joe Biden. So the, the Hitler analogy is obviously stupid, but it's incredibly dangerous when we have people who are on the streets right now cheering for Hitler. It's just unbelievable. CJ, is this the great the trick that Democrats do all the time? It's like we all see what's happening on the streets. We hear the chants, all, everything that Ian just referenced right there. But then they can get someone like Hillary to go on mainstream media and then say Hitler in a way that for all the liberals who are breaking right now, and, and we, we know it's happening right now, a lot of liberals are kind of waking up right now, they suddenly hear that and then they immediately go back the wrong way because of that very tactic. You're exactly right. You know, the same, uh, you know, playbook that they run, you know, towards Jewish Americans is the same playbook they've always ran towards black Americans. They yep. compare every single conservative to a white supremacist, to a Klansman, to, uh, you know, some terrible, terrible, you know, white supremacist or Nazi. And it's, it's the only thing that they know how to do. They know, the only thing that they know, the only way they know how to win is by pitting white people against black people, Jews against, you know, everyone else. And that, because identity politics is all they have to run on. They can't run the economy. They can't run on education. They can't run on public safety. So they run on this just absolute, just demagoguery, which is 
absolutely disgusting. And yeah, at Ian's point, I thought she was talking about Zelensky for that entire little thing <laughs> until she said Donald Trump at the end, considering he is literally now saying that there shouldn't be an election. He also consolidated all of the media into one state-run media entity. Everything that she just said is literally what Zelensky is doing. But of course, no criticism of him from her. I wouldn't expect that. Um, but again, to your point, all these anti-Semitic attacks that we're seeing in the country right now are not being waged by people wearing MAGA hats. No, right. what we're right. seeing are people who are big supporters of folks like former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, big supporters um, of progressive politicians like Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar. These are people who are not trying to conceal who they are in any which way. They are calling for the extermination of the Jewish people. They are chanting from the river to the sea. They are siding with Hamas. And it's so crazy to kind of say that out loud sometimes because it's like, mm -hmm. oh, because it's one thing to side with Democrats. It's one thing to side with Republicans. Siding with Hamas should have some weight to it when you say it because they are literal terrorists. Imagine if a few years ago we were going around saying that people were siding with ISIS. Those people would be excommunicated from society for very good reason. It is not, uh, it's just not a moral stance to have in any which way. Yeah, basically clean up the Nazis in your own party, Hillary, and then we'll deal with your other imaginary Nazis. Uh, guys, let's do this again. Uh, this was a good duo, I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. We'll link to all your stuff down below, and in about 27 seconds, we will have a post-game show at rubinreport.locals.com. Thanks everybody, have a great weekend. We need to penetrate them, blow our loads, and then subsequently pull out as needed. I actually prefer if we stay inside for an extended period of time because we need to make sure that the deed is done. Uh, I have been an expert on this subject for many years, and I think now is the time to act. Thanks for tuning in everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you wanna connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.